What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. Okay, welcome back to this week's episode. So today we are going to be talking about a cult. It's been a minute. I don't even know. Oh, I have talked a little bit about cults, but I don't think we've actually had a cult episode so far. I think it's just been conspiracy theories and then I kind of compared it to a cult. So, (laughs) and talked about like the different um, factors that you know, determine whether something is a conspiracy theory versus when it like crosses the threshold into being a cult. But today we are talking about Aum Shinrikyo, the Japanese doomsday cult. And I just want to go ahead and preface this with there are a lot of Japanese words and names in this episode. And I did look some up of how to pronounce them. And I just want to go ahead and apologize if I don't kind of hit those on the on the head, the hammer. Um, just because I'm trying my best. Um, I don't know Japanese, but we're going to go ahead and just dive right into it. So Aum Shinrikyo, which according to Wikipedia translates roughly in English to supreme truth, is a Japanese doomsday cult that was founded by Shoko Asahara, who was originally born as Chuzu Matsumoto, and the group was formed in 1987 in Tokyo. Um, Shogo Asahara changed his name in 1992, so to avoid any confusion during this episode, I'm going to be referring to him as Shoko Asahara and not his birth name, because he wasn't using his birth name really um, when he was carrying out the acts that they did. So the name Aum Shinrikyo, usually rendered, like I said in English, as Aum Supreme Truth, derives from the Sanskrit syllable Om, which I'm sure most of us have heard. It's a mantra. People will meditate and they'll say Om. And typically that mantra just represents the universe, um, creation, preservation, destruction, the universe in its entirety. And then it's followed by the Japanese word Shinrikyo, meaning roughly teaching of truth. Now, Wikipedia wants us to know that there's a difference between Om Shinrikyo and just regular Shinrikyo. And there's actually an extra letter in that one. So I might be saying it a little bit wrong. Um, And that is a Japanese new religion founded in 1947. So both of them are religious, but there's a difference. And we're not going to be talking about the latter today. I don't really know anything about it at all, but I just wanted to clarify that. And Om Shinrikyo originally started off as a yoga and meditation class led by Asahara, We'll get more into that here in a little bit, but it became an official religion in 1989 and attracted a considerable number of graduates from some of Japan's um, highest ranking schools. So it quickly became known as like spiritualism for the elite. And so that's my little summary. I did want to say before we get started into some of the details that the main sources I used were the Wikipedia page for Om Shinrikyo and Shoko Asahana, as or Asahara, excuse me, as well as 
CNN, the New York Times, the Fair Observer, and there are some more, but those were like the main ones that I'll be referencing today. So let's talk about their beliefs and their doctrine, and then we'll go more into who Shoko Asahara is. And if I said Asahana, like that whole beginning of the episode, whoops, um, I'm not used to like a bright light in my face and I'm feeling very out of my element, but here we are. Um, so Shoko Asahara, and then we'll start talking about how things started to go downhill. Um, which if you didn't know anything about this cult, things go downhill pretty quickly and pretty severely. So let's get into it. So Om Shinrikyo is a, sync a syncretic belief system, which basically just means that they take perspectives from multiple different teachings and ways of um, thought and kind of combine it into one collective belief system. So the group draws on Asahara's interpretations of elements of early Indian Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism, as well as Hinduism, and it also incorporates this kind of Christian millennialist ideal, as well as the theory and practice of yoga. So like right off the bat, it sounds pretty cool. It sounds like I can understand why these educated young adults were like, wow, like that sounds like something I'd want to be a part of. It doesn't sound super traditional, and it seems to have drawn on a lot of credible and rather peaceful uh, belief systems. So um, it's kind of sad where things go because it sounds pretty cool to start off. So some reject Aum Shinrikyo's claims of um, Buddhist characteristics and Buddhist affiliations, but other scholars actually refer to Aum Shinrikyo as an offshoot of Japanese Buddhism. I don't know if this is offensive. This is what I saw online, uh, but this was how the group tried to brand themselves. They were like, we're like a fancy little different version of Buddhism. So Asahara claimed that he could transfer spiritual power to his followers and ultimately take away their sins and bad deeds. So here, very early on, early on is where we start seeing signs of cultism coming into play. So Asahara predicted that a nuclear Armageddon would occur in 1997. Now, I'm not super familiar with the Bible. I'm pretty sure Armageddon is um, a word from the Bible. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. But um, again, he's like taking uh, different pieces of information from different thoughts and beliefs and bringing it together. So Asahara claimed that all of humanity would come to an end except for those who followed his teachings, which is very, like, rule number one in looking for a cult. That is kind of how it goes. So in Asahara's view, the world was corrupted by materialism, which thus brought tons of negative karma, which was going to lead to the Armageddon, and it's just like a domino effect. So... Alm's mission, according to Wikipedia, was not to spread the word of salvation, or not only to spread the word of salvation, but to survive the, quote, end times. And according to the Fair Observer, if it could develop a large force of spiritual masters before the end of the century, then it could eradicate the world's negative karma and bring universal salvation. So that was kind of their overall mission. And then this is a quote from Wikipedia. So David E. Kaplan and uh, what's the other author? Andrew Marshall in 1996, after kind of like the big shebang that's going to happen, went down. They wrote a book called, and it's kind of a mouthful, so just bear with me, 
The Cult at the End of the World, the terrifying story of the Alm Doomsday Cult from the subways of Tokyo to the nuclear arsenals of Russia. So that was the name of the book. And they note that Asahara referred to the United States as, quote, the beast from the Book of Revelation, predicting that it would eventually attack Japan. And Asahara prophesied a third world war instigated by the U.S. Do with that what you will. So that was basically their belief system. Um, seemed like it was going good at first. Then the whole the world is going to end thing came into play and things start to get a little jaded. So let's talk about Shoko Asahara. Asahara was born on March 2nd, 1955 into a large poor family of tatami mat makers. He is a Pisces. Okay. So he had infantile glaucoma from birth and it made him lose all sight in his left eye and he was partially blind in his right eye. So he ended up going to a school for the blind for the majority of his life where he was known to be a bully. He would like be like, give me your lunch money. Um, so he was always a little bit of a bully um, according to people who knew him. He graduated in 1977 and then he began to study acupuncture and traditional Chinese medicine, which supposedly were common careers for the blind in Japan at this time. I don't know if it still is the case, but that was what he did. And then in 1978, he married his wife and soon fathered six children. In 1981, so there's only three years after he starts this family, he is convicted of practicing pharmacy without a license and charged or fined, how much was it? 200,000 yen. Um, and I think in 20, there was like a What's the word where like conversion? So there was a conversion for 2019. So that's about 260,000 yen. So I don't know if like how often that fluctuates. Um, so shortly after this unregulated drug scandal that he was a part of, I feel like he should have been in jail maybe, but I guess he wasn't. But shortly after this was when he started learning more about religion uh, he specifically started learning about Chinese astrology and Taoism before diving into other subjects that we talked about at the beginning. And this inspired Om Shinrikyo, which he started in 1987 while teaching his yoga and meditation classes. So it was like, it's kind of crazy to think like, I go to a lot of yoga and meditation classes and sometimes I'm there. I'm like, what if I like accidentally wind up in a cult? Like, I feel like because I do this podcast, I should be able to know the signs. Um, but can you imagine you're just going to a yoga and meditation class and then suddenly you're like, you know what, like this is kind of vibing with this. Now I'm in this new religion. Suddenly I'm in a cult. Now we're killing people. Spoiler alert. They're killing people. Okay. So author Arthur Goldwag, that was hard to say, characterizes Asahara as someone who was influenced by conspiratorial writings about Jewish people, the Freemasons and the British Royal family, um, which goes back to what I talked about. I believe it was the Flat Earth episode where I can I compared um conspiracy theorist thinking to cult-like tendencies and they kind of go hand in hand. So um it's not surprising that Asahara, which for some reason I have this feeling in my gut that I keep saying Asahana and I'm so sorry if that's the case, but Asahara it doesn't surprise me that he was reading these conspiratorial writings and then carrying out the acts that he did. Um, and I just kind of wanted to add that in there just to let you guys know. But according to Wikipedia, Asahara applied for 
government registration for Alm Shinrikyo. And apparently the advice of cult experts and government officials was to not grant them this, which I don't know. Um, there's a source for this um, on Wikipedia, but I don't know how they knew so early on that maybe he shouldn't have um, the government registration, but I guess they did. Anyways, the Tokyo Metropolitan Government granted Alm Shinrikyo legal regu- legal recognition as a religious corporation in 89. So Asahara gradually attained a following. He kind of made some weird appearances on TV and magazines, and he was beginning to be invited to lectures at universities. So again, this helped him draw in the educated crowd that they were known to have. Um, Asahara also wrote several religious books, including Beyond Life and Death and Supreme Initiation. And then in 1992, he published a foundational book titled Declaring Myself the Christ, where he declared himself to be Christ and Japan's only fully enlightened master, as well as identifying himself as the Lamb of God. So pretty much immediately, I mean, it's 92, the group has been in place since 87. He's very quickly moving into this kind of uh, righteous place, if you will. All right, let's talk about Alm Shinrikyo. So Alm published comics and animated cartoons that attempted to tie their religious ideas to popular anime and manga themes. So there was like space missions and powerful weapons, world conspiracies, and quests for the ultimate truth. And this will come back um, as we start to see them escalate in some of the, um, I guess, like, ideas or projects that they wanted to make come to life that maybe were not necessarily so um, of this world. And you'll see what I mean. The Alm, this is quotes around it, the Alm Salvation Plan included claims of curing physical illnesses with health improvement techniques, realizing life goals by improving intelligence and positive thinking and concentrating on what was important at the expense of leisure. And these like couple of bullets are from Wikipedia. So I think that doesn't sound too bad. I am a leisurely person. I don't, I don't know why I just lied to y'all. I'm actually not. I wish I was a leisurely person. I think what I meant to say was that I'm a hedonist and I do things that I want to do and I am a pleasure seeker and I'm not um, afraid to admit that. So to concentrate on what's important at the expense of leisure does not sound like, you know, right up my alley. I understand we have to do that sometimes. Um, But that's the only thing that I'm kind of like, the rest, I'm like, yeah, realize your life goals through positive thinking, improve your health. Like, yeah, that all sounds great. So according to Kaplan and Marshall, which are those two authors I mentioned a minute ago with the really long name of the book, um, they mentioned that Initiation rituals often involved the use of hallucinogens like LSD, and religious practices often involved extremely ascetic practices, including everything from renunciants being hung upside down to given shock therapy. There was like some water austerities in there. Um, And this all is kind of common with cults. I think I got my nails done, y'all. So if you're watching this right now and you see me doing all these hand gestures, I'm sorry. I do this anyway. Um, when I'm recording, because it helps me feel like I'm actually like, not just like reading and being super boring. Um, But I'm watching myself in the camera. And I'm like, Oh, my God, that's so obnoxious. Um, But yeah, we see a lot of drug use in cults, a lot of interesting initiation passages. 
So it's just kind of textbook here. So the goal is what, this is how I would describe it. They're trying to attract these like hipster intellectual people to join this group. Um, people that were not interested in like a traditional sermon style, but they were still seeking spiritual gratification. So according to the New York Times, this is a quote, the multinational religious sect attracted young Japanese elite who had grown disenchanted with the country's material prosperity. The group was militantly opposed to the governments of the United States and Japan. And then according to CNN, many of Asahara's followers were highly educated scientists and engineers. This comes back later on. They helped bring in huge amounts of money to the cult. And as the cult grew, family members of these members, family members of the cult members, started to get a little worried. Um, there were complaints of brainwashing and abuse within Aum Shinrikyo, and they were not necessarily wrong. As the end of the century approached, and the group wasn't growing as much as they had anticipated, Asahara, as most cult leaders do, kind of doubled down on his perspective rather than like realizing that maybe he wasn't entirely right. So instead of redacting his message, he kind of flipped the script. Um, you know, here comes the cognitive dissonance. He's like, oh, the greater public, it, they should be punished for not understanding that we're over here, like, doing the correct thing spiritually. They need to join us. And because they're not joining us, like, they're not seeing things the alm way and yada, yada, yada. They're, like, denying the um, prophecy or whatever the fuck you want to say. So he's creating this us versus them mentality. And at this point, they actually had been purchasing real estate. They had little compounds where they were living. I'm pretty sure they had, like, Om Shinrikyo hospitals. So they like they had legit people. They had doctors, engineers, like all sorts of people that were in this religion, in this cult. And so they were living like functional lives um on these compounds. And I guess they were thinking like more and more people should be understanding this way of life and joining us. And then they weren't. And this is kind of when things um start to get more violent. Okay, so we're going to start going into where things start to go wrong, which is like pretty much immediately. So there were accusations of recruits being held against their will after joining the cult on these compounds and members being forced to donate money, forced to donate land, basically being extorted. Now, this next part is super interesting. I read it on the Nuclear Threat Initiative, so bear with me because it's going to be a little bit wordy, but in late 1988, so 88, so it wasn't even officially recognized by the Japanese government until 1989. So, and they started in 87. Okay. So in late 88, a follower accidentally drowned during ritual exercises designed to purify the spirit upon joining the cult. So this is, um, the cold water stuff that I was talking about. So like taking cold water baths, dunking them in cold water. I'm not sure exactly what the ritual was that they were doing in this moment, but basically he drowned. And the these water techniques were not um, uncommon. They were actually a technique that were widely used in Japanese ascetic traditions. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. And I think this there was just a freak accident. He died accidentally. Um, 
However, Asahara was like, this does not look good. He didn't want attention from authorities, which I'm like, if you're not doing anything wrong and somebody accidentally dies, like, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. So I feel like from the very beginning of all of this, he had bad intentions. But basically, he was like, we can't have anybody know about this. So he ordered that the corpse be burned and then they dispose of the remnants. And when the deceased, so this person who accidentally passed away, their best friend, I guess, was also in the cult. They attempted to leave because they were like, uh, holy shit, you just, like, I don't know necessarily if necessarily killed him is the right word, but you disposed of his body, you desecrated his remains. He's like, I got to get out of here. I would like to leave. Um, they killed him. They were like, no, you you cannot and so I thought this next part was interesting. So according to the Fair Observer, and this is a quote, the accidental death and murder were interpreted and justified via the formulation of Alm's key doctrine, POA. Now, I looked that up. I think I'm saying it right. So this concept is borrowed from Tibetan Buddhism, and it's grounded in the notion that ritual actions performed by an advanced spiritual practitioner when someone dies helps them progress safely into like the next realm of life, death, whatever, however you want to interpret it. And this is pretty normal in East Asian um, conceptualizations, and it's a standard feature of Japanese Buddhist culture. So after these deaths, and I'm still going with this quote, Poa was reinterpreted by Asahara to mean that they were not just aiding the spirits and passing to the next world after death, but they were also intervening in life to stop people from accruing what Alm termed negative karma in this world. So, end quote. Basically, they he rationalized that the accidental death happened because that disciple was, like, never going to be able to achieve um, enlightenment or something like that in this lifetime, so he needed to break the cycle, so he died. And then they killed the other guy because if he went to the police to tell them what happened, then he would be preventing Alm Shinrikyo um, from fulfilling their mission to bringing the world to salvation, blah, blah, blah. Basically, he's just coming up with excuses for why they, you know, desecrated the body and killed someone else. So here comes the violence. Here comes him rationalizing killing people and telling the cult members that it's okay because it's following these guidelines, essentially. So my next category in my notes is escalating with three exclamation points. So according to the Fair Observer, families whose offspring had severed familial ties because of joining Aum Shinrikyo lobbied to get hostile stories about the cult out into the news, and they engaged Tsutsumi Sakamoto, who was a prominent activist lawyer, specifically an anti-cult lawyer, to assist in their anti-Aum movement. So in October of 1989, um, which like, okay, again, October 1989, like they just started. So Aum Shinrikyo was in negotiations with Tsutsumi Sakamoto. Sakamoto was threatening a lawsuit against them, which would have bankrupted the group. And I'm sure you can imagine these negotiations did not go well. Asahara was like, there's nothing wrong with my cult. You leave my cult alone. And Sakamoto was like, dude. No. Um, 
This next part is a quote. So according to Wikipedia, in the same month of these negotiations, Sakamoto actually recorded an interview with a Japanese TV station called TBS. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here because I know what's going to happen. But so the TV network then showed Alm Shinrikyo this interview with Sakamoto, the lawyer that was building a case against them. Now, the following month after the cult was notified of this interview, Sakamoto, his wife, and his child went missing from their home in Yokohama. And at the time, the police were unable to resolve the case, unable to find their bodies, figure out who had done it, though colleagues of Sakamoto were like, dude, it was probably this cult. You should look into this cult. And it was not until after the 1995 Tokyo attack that they were able to find the bodies, um, which were dumped in separate locations by cult members. I guess I should have, like, trigger warning this episode. Trigger warning. Um, death, murder. Yeah. So we'll talk about the 1995 Tokyo attack here in a little bit, but I'm going to tell you guys all of the crazy shit that this cult was doing prior to the attack. So according to the Nuclear Threat Initiative, the trigger for the cult's shift from apocalypse survival to apocalypse initiation appears to have been caused by an unsuccessful attempt to compete in Japan's 1990 parliamentary elections, on which it spent millions of dollars, but it only got a couple of votes. So basically, they went up there and kind of just embarrassed themselves um, running for office. Nobody voted for them because I think we'll get into it um, later on where I talk about how many people are in it. But it's really not a lot of people. Like, I think at its peak, there were 10,000 people in Japan and then like 30,000 people in like a Russian sect of the group. Um, but then there were as low as like a thousand at a time. So like they, they didn't have a big following. So after this happened, Asahara is embarrassed. Um, and I guess he's like ready to take the next step into being an awful cult leader. So he starts like spouting these ideas. Members become fascinated by the concept of like futuristic weapons, um, specifically th ideas of like plasma guns or like these insanely like super huge mirrors that are like miles long that would like reflect the sun's rays and like burn shit, um, which is so funny to me because like it is really smart people that are in this group. So it's like, ooh, like it's. They're like taking it goes back to the concept where I was talking about at the beginning, where they kind of gained popularity through like their little cartoons and like manga pieces that they were creating. Um, it was like they were living like a real life anime, basically. Several cult members, this one actually isn't bad, but I think like when you put it in like none of this is like these interests aren't bad. Like if you want to be interested in um plasma guns, like that's fine. But if you're like a genius that's in a cult with a ton of money, maybe not so fine. Um, but this next point. So several cult members visited the archive of Nikola Tesla in Serbia to research his writings about earthquake generating machines. Now, like I said, not necessarily a bad thing. Like Nikola Tesla is like a really actually cool ass person to research. Um, but we haven't gotten into it a ton yet um, with like what they really start doing but when you start 
like thinking about these things that they're doing, you're like, oh, like maybe these people, it's, it's giving like Dr. Doofenshmirtz vibes from Phineas and Ferb, to be real with you guys. So the cult purchased land in Australia with the intention of prospecting for uranium to build nuclear weapons, and they purchased military hardware, weapons, whatever, from the former Soviet Union. So they were like ramping up. And then, like I mentioned earlier with um, them being in the election and prior to this, Asahara realizing that people are not joining him and becoming the spiritual masters and putting air quotes around that, he's getting more upset and angry with the public. And so that's, I guess, why he's starting to take action, I guess. All right, so this is still from the Nuclear Threat Initiative. The cult reportedly manufactured small quantities of phosgene, hydrogen cyanide, which I hope I said that right, GF and VX nerve agents, and they attempted to employ some of these in targeted assassinations consistently without success. So we're going to talk about some of the chemical warfare that they were trying to inflict on people and why they may not have worked. Unfortunately, eventually it did work with the Tokyo attack, but there were quite a few attempts prior to this attack. There were many, many opportunities for the police to get involved and stop this group from completing the attack that they did in 95. Um, So let's talk more about that. So Asahara is fired up. People aren't joining the cult. They didn't win anything in the election. Um, He suddenly has the right to kill people in his mind. So Asahara asks his disciples what the most potent poison was, and they're fucking geniuses, remember? So one of them's like, oh, it's botulinum, which I looked it up, and I think I'm saying that right, but if you're like a science person, let me know. Um, Botulinum. So the cult chose to not obtain botulinum, or it's like C, botulinum, from legitimate culture collections because they didn't want... They knew they were going to be doing bad things with this, so they didn't want it to be traced back to them. Instead, they gathered soil from an area where I guess they knew that the bacterium grew, and the intention was that they were going to culture it. And I guess one key cult member recalls that there were at least five distinct different strains that they were going to be trying to use. Um, Although... The reason, so there's a hypothesis as to why they were not able to um, effectively use botulinum in their targeted assassinations. And it's that there's no evidence that they were actually trying to isolate the strains that they were working with. So if they're collecting soil that might have this strain in it, there's also like a ton of other bacterial and fungal species in the soil sample. So if they weren't actively isolating it, then the interactions with the other bacteria and fungal species would probably inhibit it from being effective in the way that they wanted it to. Um, So that would explain why, like, if they're just taking it and trying to use it to kill people, it might not have worked. This I thought was kind of funny. So it's not funny, but like I threw it in there. So one cult member reportedly slipped into a fermenting tank of the botulinum and nearly drowned while in there. And then once they got him out, like, he survived, he showed no signs of illness. So basically, like, they had this soil that had this infectious poison in it, essentially, but they weren't isolating it correctly to be able to use it as they had intended. That is 
kind of like an intro. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about it. So in July of 1993, cult members sprayed large amounts of liquid containing anthrax spores from a cooling tower on the roof of the Om Shinrikyo headquarters. No one died. So let's get into that. It's another like kind of silly reason why nobody died. It's like they keep getting their hands on these deadly substances and then not doing what they need to do in order to make it effective, which is good. Like, I'm glad that nobody died, but it's just like, how are all y'all so smart and you're not getting it right? So according to the Nuclear Threat Initiative, again, the cult member in charge of the biological weapons effort at Om Shinrikyo had completed undergrad studies in agricultural and veterinary medicine at a university that had like a substantial supply of anthrax available. I don't know why. I'm not a science person. I don't know why they would have that. This included both the Stern and Pasteur vaccine strains, I guess because of the vaccine. I don't know. I didn't know that we got anthrax vaccines. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. I have no idea. But so they had access to anthrax. They had access to vaccine strains of anthrax. And then two key cult members indicated that all members working on the project were aware that they had vaccine strains that I guess this specific person had obtained from their university. But their goal was to genetically modify the vaccine strains in order to make it viral so that it could actually harm people. So analysts mostly have dismissed this as science fiction. They're like, oh, this is like unrealistic for them to be able to genetically modify these vaccine strains of anthrax to make it something that would be harmful. Um, but one study does speculate that the cult may have obtained both versions, the stern and the pasture strains, sought to combine them as the vir viral strain. And it turns out, coincidentally or synchronistically, that Russian scientists had published a paper detailing this effort in 1989. So it wasn't completely like mad scientist kind of stuff going on with this cult. Apparently people in Russia were also thinking you could take these two anthrax vaccines, combine them, and somehow make it viral. So it wasn't completely like just coming out of their ass. Um, and on top of that, scientists at the Japanese Agricultural and Veterinary University had been working on this same technique at the same time. So I think that's why that student was like, well, like, we're researching it at school. Like, let's see if we can make it happen in this context. Although, I just want to point out, there is no evidence proving that this is what they had intended. Um, I think there's a lot of unsubstantiated information surrounding this cult because they get, like, little bits of information from some of the cult members here and there, but there's no, like, perfect, solid evidence to prove it. So I just thought that was an interesting theory about the anthrax as to why nobody may have died. Cause like they did definitely release liquid containing anthrax spores. No one died. Maybe it's because they ineffectively genetically modified these anthrax strains, but it looks like they were, there was, you know, some other scientists thinking that that could have potentially worked. So I don't know, kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I just kind of, I wanted to include this information because I feel like it's important to realize how serious this cult was. Like, all these really smart people, all these really wealthy people came together and started just fucking around with all these chemicals and bacteriums, fungus, whatever the fuck, 
in order to harm people and like thank god so much of it didn't work but like some of it did work and so i just wanted to include that to show like the high level of intelligence that people are working with because i feel like a lot of times when we learn about cults which i haven't done a ton of cults but i've got a lot on my list um they're kind of like barbaric or anarchic or anarchic archaic archaic is the word i'm thinking of they kill people with their hands, which some of these people do get killed with their hands, but they, you know, most cults aren't doing this kind of like biological, like chemical warfare. Um, so anyways, that's kind of what makes them stand out to me. So aside from all of that, I'm going to talk to you guys about some of the other acts that they carried out before the, you know, famous, infamous 1995 attack. So they attempted to assassinate the heads of Buddhist sects Soka Gakkai and the Institute for Research in Human Happiness. So the people who were running these groups were very critical of Aum Shinrikyo, and they were like, we don't like that. And then cartoonist Yoshinori Kobayashi began satirizing the cult in his drawings, and an assassination attempt was made on him in 1993. In 1993, again... The cult was manufacturing the nerve agent Sarin and VX, or the nerve agents Sarin and VX. Alm tested its Sarin on sheep at a remote property in Western Australia, killing 29 sheep. This is another one of those ones that was like, the number of the sheep was like unsubstantiated, but they definitely were doing stuff in Western Australia. So it's really interesting. They have a lot of connections in different places around the globe. So on the night of June 27, 1994, the cult carried out a chemical weapons attack against civilians when they released sarin in the central Japanese city of Matsumoto, Nagano. Okay, this is like where shit starts to get really intense. I mean, it was already intense. People are dying. Um, but with the help of a converted refrigerator truck, members of the cult released a cloud of sarin which floated near the homes of judges who were overseeing a lawsuit concerning a real estate dispute which was predicted to go against the cult. So, like, remember I said they were buying compounds or, like, buying land to have compounds? This was one of those situations. And this is from Wikipedia. This killed eight people and harmed 500 more, and at the time the cult was not implicated. They were not able to prove that it was them. I think a lot of people were unhappy with the police work that went into um, stopping the cult because it just feels like there were so many opportunities to stop them. I don't think I ex um, said earlier how the friend died, the friend of the person who accidentally died during the initiation ritual, but that was a strangulation. So the, some of the earlier deaths were uh, more physical, used their hands, and then it gets a little bit more chemical afterwards. Okay, at the end of 1994, the cult broke into the Hiroshima factory of Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, and they were attempting to steal technical documents on military weapons, such as tanks and artillery. And then in December, and all these little bullet points I'm talking about are from Wikipedia. In December of 1994 and January of 1995, Masami Tsushia of Aum Shinrikyo synthesized 100 to 200 grams of VX, which was used to attack three people. Two of them were injured and one of them was killed. And he is believed to be the first actual documented death of VX, I think, ever. Like, not just because of the cult, but like VX, the chemical, this was the first death. 
All right. So in February of 1995, which we're getting closer to our attack date, several cult members kidnapped Kiyoshi Korea, and he was the 69-year-old brother of a member who had escaped or was trying to escape, um, varies depending on the source. A lot of the stuff I have in this episode, it's like they all have the same kind of story, but the details are slightly different. Um, like some of the numbers of like the indictments and the charges and the types of guns, like just small details, but the act overall, the overarching act committed by the cult is there. Um, so either this member was either trying to leave or they had already left. Um, but they kidnapped the brother from a Tokyo street and they took him to their compound near Mount Fuji where he was ultimately killed. Um, they were drugging him. So according to the guardian, they allegedly used anesthetics to get him to talk about his sister, who was the member that had been in the cult and she had escaped from the group or was trying to escape after being like pressed to donate her land to the cult, I guess, for them to either build a compound on or start manufacturing chemicals and which we'll see in a minute, manufacturing weapons. So they were like, we want your land. She's like, no. So they kidnapped her brother. He ultimately died of a drug overdose from the drugs that they were giving to him. His corpse was destroyed in a microwave-powered incinerator, and the remains were disposed of in Lake Kawaguchi. Oh, I guess I accidentally went... I did this out of order. So the next bullet point is 94. In January of 94, Asahara ordered the killing of a sect member, Kotaro Oshida, a pharmacist at one of their own hospitals. Oshida had tried to escape from a sect of the compound and was held down and strangled by another all member who was allegedly told that if he did not kill this doctor, that he too would, or the pharmacist, excuse me, that he too would be killed. It's getting complicated in there. <laughs> So Alm had also tried to manufacture a thousand assault rifles. They only were able to complete one, I think, before shit hit the fan and, um, you know, police got involved. But Asahara wanted the group to be self-sufficient in manufacturing copies of the Soviet Union's main infantry weapon, which here's another thing that's a little bit uh, depends on the source. This says this was from Wikipedia. This says AK-74. I saw another source that said AK-47. They're obviously very similar. I think it's just the size of like the gun that's slightly different. Um, anyways, one of the one of these rifles was smuggled into Japan, and they were going to attempt to reverse engineer and mass produce it. Police did seize AK seventy four components and blueprints from a vehicle used by an Alm member on April 6, nineteen ninety five. According to the Nuclear Threat Initiative, roughly a dozen members of the inner circle personally carried out these assassinations and the dissemination of the biological and chemical agents. So again, I mentioned the range of um, potential cult members being from like a thousand to like 10,000 to like almost 30,000. It seems like only 12 of the main cult members, the people that were closest to Asahara are the ones who actually carried out all of these violent criminal acts. Um, Cult rank and file, which I didn't know what rank and file meant. Like, I'd heard it before, so I'm going to explain it if you don't. It's basically just, like, regular members. They're, they don't really have any, like, specific roles or duties within the cult. It's just people in the cult. Um, they appear to have assisted, supposedly, most likely unknowingly, um, 
by supplying weapons, facilities. Remember, these people are rich, intelligent, they have connections. But to me, I'm like, if I was a part of like a church or a religious group or something, and they were like, oh, like, do you have like a warehouse where I can like, I don't know, like manufacture a bunch of shit? Or like, do you know somebody that's got like a bunch of guns and stuff? I would be like, that feels fishy. Like that feels like not what we're supposed to be doing. So I don't know how true that statement is that they didn't really know what was going on. But anyways, like I mentioned, the cult possessed and was willing to spend millions of dollars on their unconventional weapons programs, and they constructed substantial infrastructure to support it, according to the Nuclear Threat Initiative. And this final sentence, I feel like, sums it up. So, initial transgressions cemented group affiliation and made it difficult for members to back out as violence escalated. So, this is pretty common in cults. Like, once you are forced into committing an act um, where you could be held accountable for it, you're kind of, like, affiliated because, like, like, that's just typical gang and cult behavior. Like, they force you to do something illegal so that now, like, you have something to lose and you're not going to, like, snitch because everybody's involved. So that, I felt like that was, like, a really great way for them to have summed that up. So let's talk about the Tokyo attack now. I know um, you've been waiting for this moment. So on the morning of March 20th, 1995, ALM members released the chemical sarin in a coordinated attack on five trains in the Tokyo subway system. According to CNN, this is a quote, five ALM Shinrikyo members boarded subway cars on three different lines in central Tokyo during rush hour carrying plastic bags filled with sarin. They punctured the bags with the sharpened tips of their umbrellas and left them on baggage racks or the floor to seep deadly gas into the carriages. The trains were scheduled to arrive at central Kasumigaseki Station, which I think I said that right, within four minutes of each other. So the cult hoped not only to kill everyone on board, but they also wanted the trains to deliver the gas to the station, which was a massive interchange used by thousands of passengers at, the, at a time. Continuing this quote, Fortunately, the attack was far less effective than intended, intended, and the group only succeeded in killing 12 and injuring 5,500 people, which is still a lot of people, but only 12 people died. Thankfully, no more than that. Still very unfortunate that they died. Another victim did die later, so I guess 13. Chemical weapons experts, however, estimate that, quote, tens of thousands could have easily been killed if the attack had been carried out correctly. So according to the New York Times, the cult struck at a very difficult time for Japan. This was like right during a very painful economic stagnation and just months after an earthquake in the city of Kobe, which killed more than 6,000 people. So there's just lots of things piling on top of each other. Very unfortunate. So this is from Wikipedia. Prosecutors allege that Asahara had been tipped off by an insider that the police were planning to raid um, some of their cult facilities, and that was why he planned the attack on the train system so that it would, like, distract from that. I feel like if I was a police officer and I was going to raid something and then this happened after I'd already been planning to raid, I'd be like, oh, it was probably the cult. Um, but there's no, like, again, there's no hard, cold evidence saying that that was necessarily why they carried out the the train attacks, I think, regardless, they were just trying to be violent. So at the cult's headquarters on the foot of Mount Fuji, police found explosives, 
chemical weapons, and a Russian military helicopter. So, yes, found all of that. There were stockpiles of chemicals that could be used for producing enough sarin to kill 4 million people. Very scary. They also found labs to manufacture drugs like LSD, meth, and truth serum, which is so interesting to me. I honestly might just do an episode on just truth serum and like different cases where it's been used. Um, Cause I just, I think that's super interesting. I don't understand like how that works. They also found a safe containing millions of us dollars in cash and gold, and they had prisoners in cells. So very intense. Not only was it a cult, but it's now very much a terrorist group. During these raids, Alm issued statements claiming that the chemicals that they had in their possession were fertilizers. I don't know what they were supposedly fertilizing or growing or what. And then over the next six weeks, over 150 cult members were arrested for a variety of offenses. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Okay, so the New York Times said the group had more than 10,000 followers in Japan and more than 30,000 in Russia at the time of the attack. So the attack has happened. We're going to kind of go from the attack to like the police investigating and things that are coming out between the time of the attack and the time of the arrests, which do happen, thankfully, but it does take some time. So on April 23rd, 1995, Hideo Murai, the head of Alms Ministry of Science, was stabbed to death outside of the cult's Tokyo headquarters. There was a crowd of like 100 reporters, and they had cameras, and he was stabbed to death. And the man responsible was a Korean member of the Yamaguchi Gumi, which is the Yakuza, which I think I want to do an episode on. Um, If you're not familiar, I might be explaining this terribly, but it's basically like the Japanese mob. Um, He was arrested and convicted. But his motives were unknown. So, very curious. It makes me wonder if, like, maybe there was um, a Yakuza who had, like, a family member in the cult and they just were, like, trying to retaliate in some form. But again, a lot of all of this uh, information about these cults and gangs and mobs, it's all, like, little bits of information here and there. And we piece it together to try to make a full story that we don't really know exactly. On the evening of May 5th, here's another incident, a burning paper bag was discovered in a toilet in Tokyo's busy Shinjuku station. Upon examination, it was revealed that it was a hydrogen cyanide device, which had it not been like extinguished and put out in time, it would have released enough gas to kill potentially 10,000 commuters. It would have gone through the ventilation system. On July 4th, several undetonated cyanide devices were found at other locations in the Tokyo subway. Ooh, I don't know if you guys heard that, but there was a big motorcycle outside. And I think this is another one of those things. So there were a couple of different incidences that were happening, like these, the cyanide bombs, where I don't think they were ever able to prove that it was Aum Shinrikyo that was responsible for it, but I think just people assumed given the nature of everything that was coming out and what had just happened, they were like, they have to be responsible. So on May 16th, 1995, Asahara was finally found hiding within like a little wall cove inside one of the cult buildings, and he was finally arrested. And then this is unsubstantiated. Um, I mean, it happened, but like, I don't think they were, this is another one of those things where they're not able to say for sure that it was Alm. But on this same day, supposedly the cult mailed, the same day he was arrested, supposedly the cult was responsible for mailing a parcel bomb to the office of Yukio 
Aoshima, the governor of Tokyo. And it is believed the bomb was intended for Yukio, but it injured his assistant who opened up the package. So that's very unfortunate. So just kind of like a recap. The accident happened, or not the accident, the attack, excuse me, on the morning of March 20th, 1995. That was the Tokyo train attacks. And then the police start making these raids happen. So even though, like, maybe the attacks were supposed to stop the police from raiding them, they still were going to be raided eventually. So they got raided, found drugs, found all this military supplies, found all these chemical weapons. There are these other acts taking place, like the Yakuza attack and then the cyanide bombs and then the attack on the governor of Tokyo. So there's a lot of things that are happening. But finally, May 16th, Asahara has been arrested. Okay, and so again, this number varies, but I saw that Asahara was charged with anywhere from 17 counts to 27 counts. According to the Wikipedia page for Om Shinrikyo, he was initially charged with 23 counts of murder and 16 other offenses. And then according to CNN, in late 1996, excuse me, Asahara admitted responsibility for the sarin attack but said that he was not personally involved in the crime. He was just basically guided by God to take responsibility for the crime. He was like, you know, it's not my fault, but I'll take the blame because that's what God says I should do because I'm just like such this like righteous martyr. And at the same time, he warned lawyers that they would die if they were to continue questioning Om Shinrikyo cult members. So... During the trial, some of the disciples, which I guess were like those 12 main members, um, testified against Asahara, and he was found guilty on 13 of 17 charges. So that was, again, I saw different numbers, but he was found guilty of 13 of 17 charges, including the Sakamoto family murder, which if you remember at the beginning, Sakamoto was the lawyer who was employed basically to take down Om Shinrikyo. And if I just wish that would have just happened because it would have stopped so much from happening. So this trial lasted eight years and Asahara was found guilty of masterminding the attack and sentenced to death in 2004. 2004. Sorry about that. Um, he did appeal these unsuccessfully. They tried to use the insanity plea. That didn't work. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'll post some pictures of him. He just looks way too smug for my liking. I'm like, no, this guy knew what the fuck he was doing. According to the New York Times, Japan generally reserves capital punishment for people convicted of multiple homicides, and they usually only execute a handful of people each, each year. They really don't try to do this very often, which is good. But because of this, the date of executions is not announced in advance, and the condemned are usually only told a few hours beforehand that it is time for them to die. And they hang people, which is, like, very archaic. They don't, like, lethal injection or whatever. They hang them. So, um, and I kept reading in different sources that, like, internationally, people are like, yo, y'all should chill out with that. Like, if you're going to kill people, maybe do it in a more humane way. But it seems like the people of Japan, I don't, this is not my beliefs. This is just what I was reading online. Seems like they are in support of it. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I just thought that was interesting. It's just a very like dated way, I guess, to kill people. On September 15th of 2006, Asahara lost his final appeal against his death penalty. And his execution was delayed, however, until 2012 because 
They were waiting to make sure that they had all of their cases for his co-conspirators. They're dotting their I's and crossing their T's. And I think they were still hunting some of them down. So they were like, okay, he is going to die. He's, you know, used all his appeals. He's going to die. But we need to keep him around so that we can, I guess, get information from him and stuff and make sure we have all our ducks in a row before we kill him um, so that we can make sure we get the rest of these people taken care of as well. The following day after the announcement of his execution was that it was going to occur, the Japanese police raided offices of Alif, formerly Aum Shinrikyo, which we'll get into in a minute, in order to, quote, prevent any illegal activities by cult members in response to the confirmation of Asahara's death sentence. So they were worried that people in the cult might, like, retaliate. Okay, so like I said, they were going to wait until all of the co-conspirators were found before they decided to kill Asahara. So there were three specific fugitives that were being investigated after the Tokyo attack, and it took them a while to find them. So at 11.50 p.m., and this is according to Wikipedia, this little section here, at 11.50 p.m. on December 31, 2011, Makoto Harada surrendered himself to the police and was arrested on suspicion of being involved in the attack and the abduction of Kiyoshi Kariya, who is the man who was the brother of the member who did not want to give up her land, and they drugged him until he died. On June 3, 2012, police captured Naiko Naeko Kikuchi, excuse me, acting on a tip from local residents. And then acting on information from the capture of Kikuchi, including recent photographs showing a modified appearance. So this is like literally a movie, like when people go and they have like facial reconstruction surgery or change their hair or something like so they look different. That's how they found this last remaining fugitive, Katsuya Takahashi. And he was captured on June 15th in 2012. He is said to have been the Tokyo, um, he is said to have been the driver in the Tokyo gas attack and was caught in Tokyo, and he had been on the run for 17 years. Okay, so they got all of them by 2012. It was time to execute people July 6, 2018. So they waited a long time to kill these people. They found all of them in 2012, and they're like, all right, we're going to wait six years. So Shoko Asahara was the first one to be executed. He was the leader of Aum Shinrikyo, and Asahara's fourth daughter was assigned the rights to his ashes. Apparently. This might not come as a shocker. He was abusive to his family. I don't know, like, exactly in what contexts, but he was. And though saddened by the fact that, like, someone had to be executed, um, his daughter, who had control of his ashes, said that she basically felt like his sentencing was just and it needed to be taken care of. Some of his family, however, wanted to enshrine his ashes so that his followers could go and, like, honor them. but. As of March 2020, the ashes were still at the Tokyo Detention House, so. Some of the other people who were executed on this day were Alm's head of intelligence and chief coordinator of the Tokyo subway attack, uh, the getaway driver for one of the perpetrators of the Tokyo subway attack, a perpetrator of the Sakamoto family murder, Alm's construction minister, who was convicted of strangling a young cult member in 89, uh, suspected of dissidents. So I believe this is the one that I had told you about in the beginning who, after his friend accidentally died, he was like, I'm out of here. And then they also executed the head scientist of Alm Shinrikyo and the chief chemist and director of the sarin gas manufacturing. And then on July 26th, six more were executed. And they were all perpetrators of either the Tokyo subway attack 
or the Sakamoto family murder. So that was a very big deal for Japan. I was reading, there's a bunch of articles about it in The Guardian, um, The New York Times, CNN, if you want to look at it. But it seems like it brought a lot of relief to people because that's a long time um, after such a terrifying attack to not have any closure. I mean, that affected so many people. So I know that like that was a very exciting day for Japan. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit of like the aftermath. So in 1995, Om Shinrikyo had its legal religious entity status revoked, which like, duh. But unfortunately, they were able to continue practicing because of freedom of religion. So this is when they replaced their logo in 2000 and changed their name to Alif, which is a reference, which I think I'm saying it right. That's what I saw online. That's a reference to the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So they were like, we need to not be Om Shinrikyo anymore. We need to be Alif. Um, And they made this transition. So according to a June 2005 report by the National Police Agency, Alif had approximately 1,650 members. Um, They said about 650 of them lived communally in the compounds, which I guess were like the prior Om Shinrikyo compounds. The group operated 26 facilities in 17 prefectures, and they had about 120 residential facilities. In 2007, Fumihiro Joyu, former Aum Shinrikyo spokesman and head of Aum's Moscow operation, formally announced a split. So they were like, we do not want to be associated with Alif or Aum Shinrikyo anymore. Joyu's group called Hakari Noa, which translates roughly in English to the circle of light, claims to be committed to uniting science and religion and creating, quote, the new science of the human mind. So basically, he was trying to get back to the original pur- purpose of the group before it became a cult. Like how at the beginning I was saying, all of this sounds like really interesting information, really beneficial, very spiritual, very healing, very good. And then they took it down a very violent path. So he was trying to kind of get it back to its roots. He said that more than 10 years after he had left the cult, he had, quote, no special feeling for Asahara but he had still been somewhat nervous about the potential repercussions of criticizing him in public. So now that he was dead, he was hoping, you know, they could move past this. But that was from CNN. Okay, in April of 2011, the Public Security Intelligence Agency stated that Alm had about, or I guess Alif at this point, had about 1,500 members. And then in July of 2011, they came out themselves and they reported cult membership, or I guess... I guess it's not a cult anymore at that point. I don't really know. I just said that. Um, They said there was about 1,030 people involved. So the group was reportedly active in trying to recruit more people via social media and college campuses, which I kind of want to go look and see if I can find anything about it on social media. So Japan's Public Security Examination Commission announced in January of 2015 that there are two spinoffs, so Alif and Hikari Nowa, they were going to be remaining under surveillance for three more years, starting in February of 2015. And I think I read an article in 20, that was published in 2018 that said that Hikari Noah is, like, not being surveilled anymore because they actually, like, did what they were saying they would do. Um, in 2013, the Public Security Intelligence Agency took a photograph inside of Alif's facilities. This is from Wikipedia. It had sources, but it's it's very interesting what I'm about to say. So... 
In this photograph, a bundle of papers has been pierced with a knife on an altar-like object, and the papers included photographs of PSIA employees and directors, police officers, a lawyer, Taro Takimoto, who helped followers leave Om Shinrikyo, um, which is very important. We talk about in the Flat Earth episode, like having resources for people to leave cults and how to adjust out of them and like get them protection and safety when they're ready to leave is a big deal. So I love him. Thank you, Takimoto. So apparently at this point in time, according to this source, Alif still displayed portraits of Asahara and demanded that they like, I guess, worship or not, maybe not worship, but they were like, Asahara is our guy. <laughs> and then in 2016, the Russian government banned Amshin Rikyo and Alif in the country, declaring it a terrorist organization. All right. Finally, I want to talk about some admirers of this group. So this is unsubstantiated. Um, I think it happened, but like some of the details surrounding it, again, are not necessarily super clear. But in June of 1995, an individual unrelated to Alm had launched a copycat attack by hijacking All Nippon Airways Flight 857, a Boeing, Boeing 747 bound for Hakodate from Tokyo. I'm so sorry if I said that wrong. The hijacker claimed to be an Alm member in possession of sarin and plastic explosives, but these claims were ultimately found to be false. So, like, he wasn't actually a member. I guess he didn't have the explosives. But that was, like, a, I guess, a copycat attack. And then in 2014, the Japan Times alleged, this is a quote, that good looks and commitment to a cause demonstrated by Alif, quote, inspire a new generation of admirers. Dissatisfaction with society and low degrees of success in life make them, quote, identify with the cult and, quote, adore the cultists as if they were pop idols. So this kind of mimics that, like, concept of people who, like, romanticize serial killers and stuff. On January 1st of 2019 in Tokyo, Om sympathizer Kazuhiro Kusakabe told authorities he intentionally rammed into pedestrians crowded into narrow Takashita Street in Harajuku District as a terrorist attack in, quote, retaliation for an execution. So this was, like, unspecified. It remains unclear whether he was talking about the 2018 executions of the cult members or making, like, a broader statement. But this attack occurred on New Year's Day, like I said. It left eight injured, and a ninth person was directly injured by the driver. So I guess he hit one person, and then, like, the crowd of people, eight people got hurt. I don't know. I have a conclusion statement that I got from the Nuclear Threat Initiative that I just felt, like, really summed this situation up. So I'm going to read it. Alm's efforts were characterized by steadily escalating levels of attempted violence, a relatively seamless transition from individual to mass attacks and from conventional to unconventional weapons, and a trial and error process of repeated errors, but persistence and attempts at correction in the face of failure. Responding robustly to more modest initial transgressions may make subsequent greater transgressions less likely. Finn. Okay, so that's all the information I have for you guys. I know that was a lot to digest and take in. It was difficult to research because there's a lot of mis or not necessarily misinformation, but kind of like messiness and uncertainty with some of the stories. But I think that that conclusion really sums it up. There were so many opportunities for the police to get involved, and I think they kind of dropped the ball. 
Um, I'm also not a police officer, so, like, I can't really say, like, how easy it would have been for them to, you know, stop them. But, like, it just feels like that was way too many opportunities for them to stop them that were not taken. Um, And I do think it's important, like they said, to take things seriously. Like, if there's a small attack, don't discount them. Don't think that they're not capable of something more, especially with these incredibly intelligent people that were able to have all of these connections, all of these resources, and were willing to try again and again and again. These educated people. Like, do I have anything else I want to add? I think that's it. I mean, it's just a super interesting case. I've been excited to do this one. Also, I don't know if this was the best one to be the first video recording of the podcast because I this one was difficult. Um, but very interesting to research. If you guys have anything that you want to talk to me about, about this topic or any corrections of the pronunciations, that is helpful, but be nice about it. Like I, I'm not Japanese. I'm trying. I've never even, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, more cults on the way. That one was really interesting and fun to talk about. Not fun, I guess, but like it like scratched the itch I was having to talk about something like this. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you all so much for listening. Y'all know what to do. Follow me at Profsket Podcast. That's at P-R-O-F-S-K-E-P Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can email me at professionalskepticismpodcast at gmail.com. You can buy stickers at profsketpodcast.bigcartel.com. Go check that out. You can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Podcast. I have four tiers available. There's a $3 tier, a $5 tier, $10 tier, and a $15 tier. If you join the $15 tier, you get exclusive merch like this professional skepticism mug after three months of being a subscriber. And I think that's it. I love you guys so much. Stay sus skeptics. Bye.